Hello, I'm Mark McCurgo and welcome to the Village in the City podcast, helping you build micro-local community where you live. Welcome to this series of Village in the City podcasts, where we'll be bringing you the voices of people with something to say and something to learn from about building micro-local communities around the world. This first call goes back to July 2020 when the project was just starting off and I invited Dr Wendy Elliott, founder of the Flourish Project and urban development consultant Adrian Hodgson to join me and I launched the project and they responded to it and we had an interesting conversation on a call with several dozen people. Uh, So let's get to it, beam ourselves back to July 2020 and here's a slightly younger me to introduce the call. Welcome to the very first call on the topic of the village in the city and my name's uh, Mark McCurgo and I'm absolutely thrilled that so many of you have chosen to come and join in with this call to find out a bit more about this concept which I hope is an exciting and timely and workable one and I'm very pleased to be joined today by um, by uh, Wendy and by Adrian who are going to uh, we've had a chat and they've got some things to to share as well. Let's begin. Uh, what's all this about then? Well, village in the city is a, th- it's not a new idea at all, let me first of all say that, but I hope I'm bringing something new to it. My name is Mark McCurgo. I am a management leadership consultant by, uh, by trade, if you like, and by, uh, I've written various books on organisational change and leadership and leading as a host. And in the course of the research about what makes a good host, I started to realise that it's more than simply organisational leadership that involves hosting. It's anything that involves bringing people together and creating community uh, in that regard. And I think that villages need hosts. And I'll come into this a bit later. But so that's what I'm bringing to the table is, if you like, some knowledge and expertise about uh, hosts and how hosting works and how the art of bringing people together works. I was on a call a few weeks ago, just about three weeks ago. We were thinking about building back better and what we want to see different. And I was struck very much in my my own experience in the pandemic of suddenly meeting the neighbours. In our part of fairly central Edinburgh, the West End, where I'm from, Uh, We've lived here for about three years and we knew a couple of other people in the street. But somebody, my good wife Jenny particularly, who's just joined us, uh, suggested that she got in touch with the people we did know and said, let's set up a a street email. And other people joined in and we set up a WhatsApp and we've been talking to each other and we've been doing shopping for each other and we've been clapping for the NHS together and I've been playing my saxophone on the front step in the uh, uh, on a Sunday evening while we were all locked down to general uh, applause I think um, and I was thinking what, how marvellous it is that we now know each other as a street in a way that we just didn't before and I get the feeling that my experience is kind of mirrored in various ways around the world at this at this time and so I was thinking well we don't want to lose that connection on the contrary we want to build on it so what's the next level up from a street And in my view, the next level up from the street is the village. Uh, And that's true whether you're in a city or a town or indeed in a village. 
uh, we're, in, uh, we're all in villages in the city, potentially. And some of these villages in the city are pretty well developed and others are really lying dormant and nascent and ready to be woken up. And I think that my village, the West End, is, is in rather in that category. Um, so I think another, another point, the second point I want to make is that we have all in the pandemic, we're all Zoom veterans now, I think, and we've all experienced talking to people all over the world on this amazing technology. We have people joining us today from Indonesia which is, and Australia and Uruguay. So that's, you know, four continents at least, if not more, on this, on this call. And isn't that amazing and fantastic? Uh, when I was a kid, my parents were kind of leading lights in our village in Suffolk in, uh, in England, in the east of England. And I rather thought they were a bit useless because they only talked to people in the village. And they talked to people in the village because that's who there was to talk to. There were telephones, but they were expensive and only to be used in emergencies, at least in our house. And what we've seen is a kind of movement across the spectrum from ha only being able to talk to the people who live near you through telephones, uh, internet, email, chat, Zoom, and all of a sudden we can talk to like half the population of the world if we know their address and we want to get hold of them. So we've seen this immense spread in the number of people we could talk to. And I am thinking that this makes talking to the people who live next to you really important again for a different reason. And it's a kind of counterbalancing reason. We can talk to all these people everywhere in the world. But, that, but we need to have some conversations that are cross-generational, cross-demographic, uh, with people who aren't quite like us. And the risk of all these people here is that they're a bit like us. So I think that talking to people in our villages, the ones who live within a five or ten minute walk of us, is going to be an incredibly important step in rebalancing our lives and our connections uh, and ourselves and our connections. So. So that's the, the sort of se second reason why I think this idea is, is a moment who's come. Of course, the idea of localism is not new. In fact, there's lots and lots of people out there espousing localism. There are global organisations that will tell you about the importance of localism. And uh, what I'm trying to do with the village and the city idea is do what I often do in my work, which is to try and connect the very big and the tiny. So the idea of the village, connect, the village community is potentially a very big one, but what are tiny things we can do uh, in order to uh, use that and build on it? And so I wrote, sitting down with a blank sheet of paper, what I call the Village in the City Manifesto. And that lays down some of the things I've just said about why I think it's important. And it also lays down seven... Um, seven uh, uh, things, seven aspects, I think, elements of, of a working village, whether that's in the city or anywhere else. And as far as I know, that's new. So I'm just going to share a slide with you now of this, um, uh, of this seven aspects of the village in the city. And hopefully you can all see that now. Seven basic components of a village in the city. And this is my work, and I'm laying it in front of you for the first time today. A village has a name. 
that sounds obvious, but it's not always the case. It's sort of, you know, you need a good name. Most places have them, not everywhere does. The second thing you need is much more difficult. It's inclusivity. Everyone who lives there is a member, if you like. And so it's not just about the people who've lived there for a long time. <laughs> it's not just about the people who live the right side of the tracks or, or whatever like that, uh, or in the nice houses around the green. Uh, it's everyone who's there is a member. And we're discovering with the Black Lives Matter movement that um, uh, it's, more, it's not simply enough to be open to people joining you. You have to be active. You have to reach out. You have to invite. So inclusivity is key. But a village has meeting places, and those meeting places should be accessible to all and within walking distance. This is becoming a key aspect of my thinking. So uh, where are your meeting places? Are they inside? Are they outside? They should be both. Are they the kind of places where people can have chance interactions as well as come for organised events? Uh, there has to be connection within the village. And these days that might be a Facebook group or it might be an email newsletter or it might be an old-fashioned parish magazine or it can be all sorts of things. But there needs to be some way that the people in the village can communicate with each other as well as meeting each other face-to-face. -face. So you can share the news, welcome new people uh, and get things moving between us. The fifth thing connecting with my own work is the idea of hosts. You need people to involve and engage the wider community and in the old days you know in the English village setting where I grew up that used to be the vicar and the pub landlord and between them they probably knew most if not everybody who was in the village that's not I think the case anymore unfortunately uh, church going has dropped with apologies to Reverend Nick <laughs> um, the pub is probably now more like a restaurant or something than, than, often than a community centre but we need I think village builders and I'm hoping to maybe start a movement, if there's an appetite, for village builders to go and be the people who are making this happen. Now, the sixth thing is inclusive gatherings, uh, things that bring the community together. And they could be all sorts of things. They could be, you know, um, Kayleys in, here in, in Scotland. They could be a summer party outside. They could be a Christmas thing. Uh, they could be a music weekend, they could be all sorts of things. Things that bring people together. And finally, an identity. Uh, what makes this a special place? What makes this a special place? And that, uh, you'd think that would be near the top of the list, but I think it's something that emerges, actually. Emerges out of the conversations um, that, that happen. And if we're going to start building villages, and I'm already making a start here in the West End by connecting up with others, two questions for you. What's already there? Um, at, and in the West End, for example, here we have uh, an excellent name and an excellent identity, but not much connection. I discovered there is a Facebook group for West End residents, and it had 20 members as of last week. Um, we have now a plan, an active plan to grow that, for example. Uh, we don't have any inclusive gatherings yet. We're a bit short of meeting places, but there are thoughts out there. So what's already there? And then think about next steps. Uh, this, is, this is the way of building on what's there. You don't have to reinvent it all, but you have to start by uh, building on what's there and gathering other people around who want to be involved uh, and then making step-by-step -step progress. So 
The Village in the City Manifesto sets out in, in a bit more detail, but under those seven headings, the things that I think are important in the village in the city. So I've sort of set the scene, uh, I, and I invited Wendy and Adrian, who I know through various routes, who are also both interested in this area from a professional basis, and I just invite them, first of all, Wendy, to share a few responses to what I've just said, uh, and your thoughts on what, what's important about the village in the city concept, and how might it happen. Yes, thanks, Mark. And, and just lovely to be in, uh, in engaged with everybody. Um, yes, yeah, so I guess I've had an interest in these things for a long time, about 30 years. I've been very interested in human creativity and well-being. So um, the connection between Mark and I um, is about 12 years ago. Um, I decided, I was very involved at the time in flying around the world. I'm engaged with some very interesting leaders and spiritual leaders and all around the narrative of wisdom. And I got very exasperated of everybody talking about wisdom and not bringing it down to earth. So I come from uh, a small fishing village in Cornwall and I had moved to Cheltenham and I literally thought, how could I re, um, how could I kind of create a sense of village within my local town? So I actually went about creating the first of two community initiatives that are both of which are still going. And um, it was just a very interesting exercise from the beginning of, of trying to engage everybody. So I thought I'd share with everybody a little bit about my story with that and some of the things that we learned from it. But one of the things that's been the most evident is the degree of resilience that the two initiatives that I created all that time ago gave to the current situation with COVID because they were both so established that we were able to very quickly, or I, I don't run them anymore, but those that run them were so quickly able to engage people and provide resources and connect people up. So it was a rather lovely thing to see that these things that were established this, that time ago um, were able to help um, in the way they could. So there were two different initiatives. I established something called Shelton Connect, which pretty much ticked off everything that Mark talked about. Um, we started very simply, I did a leaflet drop around town and it was really just to say, is anyone interested in, in starting up a community initiative? So the first thing is, there's always extraordinarily wealth within the community that you're not really aware of. So I assumed three or four people would turn up to this meeting and actually, and I booked a table in a local pub and 18 people turned up and assumed that I had an agenda and had thought it all through, which I, had, I hadn't. So we all went up to the upstairs room and that really kicked started um, Cheltenham Connect. But it was really very much what Mark was saying, um, starting with where you're at, not um, being reliant on funds. So one of the things, the first things I learned was just how much you can do without funds and that you don't need to wait for a community grant to do it. Uh, we learned very quickly that you, the, although there were activists already engaged in the community, there was a huge resource already there of people who you weren't the ones that you would necessarily have thought would step up to do this. 
So another learning was these were not the retired people. Most of the core group that I worked with at the beginning all were actively working in their various professions, but they felt absolutely passionate about their community. So so it was people who very much were giving on top of their existing, you know, nine to five day job. Um, We kicked off with what was already there and what the needs so it's very much place-based so what are the needs of the individual community so we established four groups buy local which is common to everybody go green skill space and community at the beginning and we the reason we did that was because we knew that within our community different people had different interests so we were trying to engage the most number of people at the most time we also did exactly what Mark was saying. We said the Cheltenham has 120,000 population and that was too big to be a village. So we very quickly said South Cheltenham had its unique history and identity that was already identified within the, the town. It was evident to everybody. So Cheltenham Connect was actually the South Cheltenham element um, that was built up. We we then did a huge number of activities. So everything from history projects to fantastic music festivals, craft fairs. Um, We did buy local campaigns. We did um, green campaigns. It was quite extraordinary the amount of enthusiasm there was once we honed in on aspects that people were particularly interested in. And that was the key of it, really. So we still have probably the biggest local community um, business to business um, initiative going on there's a monthly get together and there's an annual really big um, event that's run for local businesses and we also ran we initiated something called laptop friday which was for freelancers because one of the things we discovered through the dialogues was and it's going to be even more so now was that lots of freelancers were working at home and were very isolated so Laptop Friday became where you went on a Friday morning. You could still work, always in cafes. So all our meetings were either pubs or cafes because of the inclusive, inclusivity. Um, and that now, I think now there's a Laptop Friday in Cardiff and other places. So that's kind of morphed a bit. Um, so, yeah, so we learned a lot. One of the things I learned at the very beginning, which might be easier now because actually COVID has connected people up was I naively thought that all the local traders would be delighted with us moving in to assist and actually it took me more than a year to persuade the local traders that I wasn't a council spy or or a political spy because no one believed that people with these skill sets would give their time for nothing it was very very interesting the degree of suspicion but once we turned it a bit like Jamie Oliver, you know, when you get your worst critic becomes your greatest champion. Once they realised that this was really genuine and this was local people of all skill sets wanting to help, there was a huge amount of goodwill and resources. Um, Rather not needing funding, one of the great benefits of not having money was when we wanted to run events, we had to beg, borrow and not steal, but we then had very strong relationship with the churches 
to borrow their tables and with the university to borrow their exhibition boards. And because of that, that relationship was a really different one to saying, look, you know, please, can I, can I rent these for a while? It would just change the dynamics. So that was one of the most interesting things we learned. Um, so it's been going a long time now. I say, I actually think now there's more need for this and there's more possibility of doing it now because at the time we didn't have the digital tools and there are now very interesting digital tools such as um, Nextdoor, which could be so quickly brought into any new initiative. But um, the other one that I was going to say was about the other initiative. The other one I set up, which is very popular and we can't get anyone to leave it now, is we we set up something for anyone that was new to the town to be immediately networked in to um, a social group. And that social group had a presence. There are a number of different, all sorts of different things that were spinning off it. It started really small so we could take everybody out and book a restaurant and have a jazz session or whatever. But now there are 100, 180, I think, members. Um, so obviously you get the, the smaller groups. And that has challenges of its, you know, of its own. So they've, but then those groups create their own identity. But that's been hugely successful. And I'm continually stopped by people in restaurants and around the town to say that that's really changed their life. Because we're a very social town. If you come in and you don't know anybody, you're really aware of that and you feel very outside of it. So it was a, it's a very, very quick way that all you do, whoever is hosting it, they you get hold of they get hold of you and all we did was had a cup of coffee that's so the first step is sign up meet the organizer for a cup of coffee and that's it you're in whether or not you engage with things is up to you but it it's worked extremely well so so yeah i'm i'm passionate about that my my work at the moment is actually i'm developing something called the flourish project which is looking at the triple aspect of well-being which is self others and the natural world. So I'm very, very interested in this element of the crucial element of relationship. Um, so it's an ecology of well-being. And, and what we are seeing now is local communities are absolutely essential to that. And the other element that I think is I'm very interested in building up is schools now have a much more embedded relationship into communities. And I really hope we find ways of maintaining that because that's quite unique schools love it but there is going to need to be some support to maintain those those kind of um points of conversation so yeah that's a quick um explanation of, of you know why mark and i kicked off on this <laughs> Thank you, Wendy. Thank you very much. And it, uh, this is one of the nice thing is that I, I haven't seen Wendy for 10 years since we left Cheltenham and it's got us back talking again, which is absolutely super. So <laughs> thanks so much, Wendy. That's that's lovely. A quick reminder that you're listening to the Village in the City podcast, helping you build micro local communities where you live. If you go to our website, villageinthecity.net, village in the city all one word dot net you'll find lots more information resources including our village builders handbook uh, blogs uh, see where all our villages currently are and also figure out how to join us putting your village on the map 
uh, and joining in with all our activities, calls, discussions, learning together and so on. Of course, it doesn't have to be lots of people involved. It can be just you who wants to start something in your neighbourhood, your street, your block, your patch of town. So we're going to rejoin the call now and I'm going to introduce Adrian Hodgson, urban development consultant, uh, to talk about what he thinks about village in the city. Let's move to Adrian, who is in Berlin. And Adrian did a course that I run online a year or two ago, and he is uh, somewhat of a, an expert in urban development. And he has some interesting perspectives from his own position and also from his experience of living in Germany. Adrian. Hello, everyone. Uh, very nice to see um, so many interested faces coming together for this uh, little online village um, that you might be able to call it. I, uh, as Mark said, um, I mean, primarily it's creating or improving um, a village uh, as a physical area is something that I've been interested in for a long time and worked in for a long time. Um, I studied urban planning. I worked as an urban planner in Australia primarily, although I'm in Berlin now. Um, and then I moved into urban planning and community development um, in the developing world, developing context. So Africa and Southeast Asia, um, Latin America, I've been doing that for the last 16, 17 years. Based in Berlin, um, I'm also, I've also been working at the neighbourhood level in Berlin. Um, what I found interesting at the beginning was uh, of, of, of the conversation, um, and I can agree with nearly everything or probably everything and more that's been said already uh, as the key the key um, attributes to how to get people together and, um, you know, get something moving at the village level or neighbourhood level, street level. Um, there's, across the world, uh, there seems to be some pretty, uh, yeah, normal elements or um, I would say basic elements uh, that, that function. And, and every culture is different, every continent is different, every even villages different. There's some things that work better than others and it depends on the people and it um, depends on the personality of that area as well. But I found it really interesting when I first started uh, as an urban planner. I worked, um, I worked with telecommunications companies putting up their networks, so their infrastructure and what you could say is these mobile phone towers that most people are not so happy to have. And I was I was amazed at how quickly people would galvanise about something that they didn't want to the extent where uh, um, you would have uh, newspaper articles written about you and what you're doing, um, cans of Coke thrown at you, all sorts of, you know, dreadful things. But when it came to um, galvanising and committing to a group of people around something that you do want, it was much more difficult to get people together. So that started this question for me, um, how do you actually do that and do it well and, and, and reach what you want or what you communally want? So, um, yeah, that... And along the way, the last 16, 17 years, um, there have been... Uh, as I said, I've been working with slum upgrade, with slum upgrading, uh, informal settlement upgrading, um, community uh, development type projects where you try to get as many people together as possible and as in a sort of focus area within a, a village uh, area, as you, you might want to call it. To, to let, what are we going to do about our situation? We want to improve it. Um, how do we do that? And there are these. Uh, uh, 
I guess, in the literature and it's been studied, these key elements um, which have come out in Marx's manifesto, definitely. Um, some of the other things, the little tricks or lessons that I've learned to, along the way, I thought I, I might be able to add to that um, here and there. It's certainly the idea of, of uh, what's in it for me um, seems to be a key element. If if I want to, if, if, if say, my neighbours or my um, community want to work together on a project, I want to know what's in it for me. Basically, uh, if I come to a meeting, um, I, I pretty much want to know what am I going to get out of it, even if it's something to eat at that meeting, as small as that, um, to I want quick results, I want to see, uh, I want to see and know what's happening, I, I want to feel like I'm contributing but maybe not so not that I'm controlling or governing the way things are happening I want someone else to do that and that's usually where this host idea comes in if there's a structure already there what's on the ground is sort of maybe there's a, a leader a local leader um, there's this uh, this feeling that I don't have to contribute too much um, it's a quick and easy type of engagement that, that often works quite uh, quite effectively. Um, uh, and um, I think the flexibility and inclusive, inclusiveness of the project has to be quite evident that, you know, any ideas, are, all ideas are welcome. You don't have to be fear about bringing new ideas into um, some sort of common goal. But what uh, I, I don't actually want to go on to too much about all of that, um, but I think the key thing is that it is easy to be involved and easy to contribute, um, and it has to be ex completely accessible for for me to be involved in uh, before I make any huge commitment. Um, and I, I find often that the stumbling blocks, the hurdles, have been this idea of okay. Um, if I go to this meeting, then I have to somehow commit myself to the whole project and um, be involved in people with people who I don't know and I don't trust. And, you know, there's this sort of uh, um, uh, hurdle that we often find has to be overcome. So this whole idea about community trust or there's trust and there's a relationship building type exercises that have gone into the, 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 um, into the organisation or the project um, and that's, uh, but you still, you, you don't have to engage fully until you understand and that you feel a part of it and that you feel welcomed and you don't have any fear about your contribution. Um, and I was also thinking about what um, this, this idea of, and I, I think that, that those little parts fit into the bigger manifesto that Mark has discussed already. But when, when I think about, uh, you know, this idea of the COVID, what happened during COVID for me in my community here in my neighbourhood, the, well, the main, um, what was important uh, about living in this, this village area or what were, was the, what were the things that I valued or my family valued? And it was definitely uh, this idea of reliability of neighbours that I could easily ask my neighbours, can you look after my children for a while um, while I, you know, have a Zoom call or uh, um, there were places that I could um, send my kids, you know, to the park or whatever, um, this feeling, this atmosphere of safety and trust. And I think that's essential um, 
with any sort of work uh, that you do at that at this level. So I mean that's I, I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to um, bring down to a focus without uh, too much structure all of the different things that are involved uh, in working at a community level or a very small community level, micro level, village level. Um, yeah, but I think that across the world it's going to be different. Um, uh, uh, but at the same time, there are key elements. Uh, and I think the manifesto captures those elements. But just to add to that, this idea that things need to be quick and easy, visible, um, trust, and this atmosphere of, you know, no fear is, is, is part of it. Um, yeah, so that's in a very small nutshell. <laughs> Thank you, Adrian. Thank, thank you. That, that's that's terrific. And I think quick and easy and visible is it sounds like a really good starting point. Wendy sent me a thing about participative cities the other day, which had that pretty close to the top. You know, it's, if it's visible, then people can start responding to it. Whereas mm. people sitting in rooms filling in grant applications isn't very visible and it's not very fun either. If, does anyone have a burning question that they kind of feel feel must be answered right now about this concept? Mark, it's John. Just one really quick question of Wendy. Can you just say a few words about the demographic of Charlton Connect when you first started up, age demographic? Yeah, I think uh, average age, I've sent it to someone, there's an average age 40, median age lower than 38. So we've got quite a lot of schools in Cheltenham, so it brings average age down. Okay. And a, and a fairly good spread. Yeah. Fairly good spread, very Middle England um not a not a hugely ethnic representative uh okay. kind of bloom but yeah mark i just wanted to say um in, in response to adrian that um we didn't have a lot of when people came to meetings they really wanted to be in the room so we didn't have a lot of people feeling fearful about coming to meetings and i think that's the huge difference between having someone who's a representative of an organization or the council or the you know an elected representative um organizing anything and having the community themselves put forward people that other people already knew so they they really wanted to come to the meetings we never had that that sense of um discomfort but you know i i think and that's the the skill of those hosts um being you know the right people and, and a number of them for different um, parts of the community yes right and that is just amazing I, I'm not, that's that's one of the things good hosting can make a real difference in this Huge the way difference. you bring people together makes a big difference it doesn't yeah. cost money it just costs a bit of skill trust. And a bit of time. yeah because it's all yeah. about trust yeah okay there's a brief opportunity here there were two questions what excites you and what might be some good next steps let's take a a couple of shout outs. Okay, the film's been shy. I'll say something. It's the fact that we've had such a tremendous response during the lockdown that to try and encourage those people that have been volunteering and the sense of community spirit to be harnessed in other ways for the benefit of everybody in the town. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Good thought. Something else? Yes, Wendy. Uh, what excites me is the scalability. I, I think we've never had the, the opportunity to scale and part of the conversation our group was that how quickly you can scale up great ideas now and, and so that other people don't have to duplicate all the time and resources, you can fast track it. So I'm, I'm very excited about 
how quickly this kind of thing could grow. Yes, 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 me too. So uh, the other question was, what might be some good next steps? And there's less in the Google document on that. But I'm, I'm intrigued to know what people um, think about that. Um, because here we this is this thing in my mind this is it's been around for a long time but my version of it's three weeks old um, this is the first time we've got together to talk about it um, what might happen next I, I'll just uh, jump in quickly with one of the, the things that I find easy to set up and quick and we've talked about that once before is there are there two things actually a survey you know even in the, a couple of streets face to face if you're interested to get a, a feeling for your own neighborhood own village doing a face-to-face -face survey that takes absolutely no time, that just gives you, gets right down to the core questions. Um, what's wanted? What do you value about your neighbourhood? Uh, what about the idea of having a street party or a village party? Um, something like that. Just getting people together for the first time to establish, like you said, bringing back away from the virtual reality to the actual reality, um, local reality. Um, that excites me, and it's also, I think, it's a good next step. So, somebody else, Wendy. I'm, I'm I just say I'm really happy to help strategy-wise as we go ahead, and I'm linked in to a lot of stuff that's going on globally. So, I'd love to help. So I'll bring it to you, Mark, um, to share with the group because there's there's so much going on that's really interesting. Thank you, Wendy. Yeah, I've been scratching the surface of it in the last couple mm. of weeks, and there's, there is, as you say, an amazing amount of stuff. Um, yeah. Not all of it fits my, my desire of very big and very small touching. <laughs> so I want to keep going with that. Well, look, everyone, thank you so much um, for, for joining me this afternoon. Um, I'm quite happy to sit around here and have a chat with anyone who wants to, so I'm not going to sort of end the call immediately right now, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to unmute everyone and we can all say thank you very much and wave goodbye and whatever else. And if anyone wants to hang around and talk to me afterwards, uh, please feel free to do that. So thank you all. Lovely thank to you. see you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 So that's how the project started back in July 2020. We've been doing a lot of village building since then, and you can get more details at the website villageinthecity.net, villageinthecity, all one word, .net, where you can also put your village on the map, find out about future events, and download resources and connect with other village builders around the world. So I'm Mark McCurgo. It's been great to have you on this first podcast for Village in the City, and we'll see you next time. And the music in the background, by the way, is a band that I led 25 years ago called Ultrasound. So until next time, thanks for joining me and I'll see you at Village in the City. Cheers for now. <laughs>